sometimes. The best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 255. Well, just got back from the Terracotta Invitational in Naples, Florida. Quick trip back across Alligator Alley. Back home for a couple weeks before heading out to Scottsdale for both the Women's and the Men's National Championship at Greyhawk. So lots of work to do in the next couple of weeks with a ton of content to share with you all. But before moving forward, we're going to look back at the tournament that just took place at Naples National Golf Club. First of all, Denny Glass, tournament director there, and Bob Ward, the entire staff at Naples National, can't thank them enough for taking care of me for the entire week. This is really a very special tournament. The golf course is the star of the show. No doubt, Naples National is, is epic. But the supporting cast, the members, the sponsors, it's really, you know, it's really incredible to see the amount of support that they give this tournament. You know, you have members that are following play from start to finish. They are truly passionate about supporting amateur golf. And this tournament just reached its 26th year and it will be going strong for many more years to come. Some of their former winners, how about Justin Thomas, Matt Kuchar, Bud Cauley, Peter Uline? Incredible history at this tournament, and the back of the range will be back again next year. So clearly looking forward to 2023. This tournament is going to be firmly on my schedule for many years to come. A few housekeeping items. There is more merch on the website. New golf towels are in, t-shirts, hoodies, hats, visors, bucket hats. I decided to add more options so that you can rock different types of gear and help spread the word about the back of the range. So everything is available on the website, thebackoftherange.com. Congrats to a couple guys that participated in the Coleman Invitational at Seminole this past week. Stuart Hagestad picked up the win in the Mid-Am division, and Bob Royak captured the win in the Senior division. Both of these guys have been guests on the back of the range in the past. And then we get to Scott Turner, another former guest here at the back of the range. Scott runs the minor league golf tour here in South Florida, one of the best developmental tours in the country. Scott played professionally briefly and then got his amateur status back. He's one of the strongest mid-ams in the state of Florida. So he plays in his first Coleman Invitational and makes a hole-in-one on the 13th hole. Are you kidding me? Of all the places to make a hole-in-one, Seminole in the Coleman, that's got to be at the top of the list. So congrats to everyone that got the opportunity to play the Coleman. Um, obviously, in a, a very elite tournament. Actually, I think I think the number is 17. I think there are 17 guys in the field that were former guests on the back of the range. So many of their stories are already available for you to listen to. Players like Mike McCoy, Gene Elliott, Brad Tilly, Brad Nursky, Scott Harvey, go check out some previous episodes. Remember, everything can be found at thebackoftherange.com. My guest on this episode is Caleb Surratt. Yesterday, he captured the Terracotta Invitational title. Actually, he's the first player to go back-to-back -back as champion. So we actually recorded this episode a few days before the tournament, so I guess the mojo was already in works for the young Tennessee volunteer commit because not only did he go on to win the tournament, but he tied a tournament record at 14 under par. 
Caleb has been on a bit of a heater. This is now six wins and 21 top 10 finishes over the last 12 months. Caleb has definitely made his mark in the world of amateur golf, and he's still yet to hit a shot in college. But that'll happen soon enough once he gets to Knoxville. We spoke about his start in the game, his approach to tournament play, and while he certainly added some new memories from Naples National, we also touched on his win last year and how he felt that might lead to a successful defense of his title, which is ultimately what happened. So let's get this episode started. Caleb, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Mr. Adelberg? Okay, now hold on. We're going to stop right there. I, I know you pulled this with Burkowski on his podcast. You called him Mr. Burkowski. The same goes for me. I'm younger than Burko, so you can just call me Ben. I want to make sure we, we we get that done right away. I know it's a respectful thing, but let's 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 just be friends here. I'm, I'm thinking more of, we'll call you Big A. Big, Big A. A. All right, that works. Okay, that's good. But Big A in the future, for sure. Things have been kind of going your way, I would say, for the last year. Um, we'll talk about a lot of the achievements, but your most recent one, we're talking the day after you get through local qualifying for the U.S. Open. Actually, I don't know if they call that a medalist of a local qualifying, but you came in first with a 67 and you get through. That's really all you're trying to do there. After victories at Sage and victories at the Western Junior, it just kind of keeps rolling for you. And then also not to, I mean, we can't not talk about Jonathan Grizz on, on your podcast because, I mean, it's Jonathan Grizz. He qualifies for a Corn Ferry Tour event on the same day you're getting through locals. Now, oh, I know it's your boy. I mean, come on. Um, he's got the best hair in junior golf. So I've, I've been around you guys a lot. I know what kind of ability you guys have, but still, you know, you have, neither one of you have hit a single shot in college golf yet. And for people on the outside looking in, they might be wondering, okay, how are these high schoolers not overwhelmed by big stages? Can, can you perhaps explain how you go into these opportunities where maybe you're a little bit out over your skis, but you still perform? Yeah. Um, um, so I think there's probably two sides to that answer. And, uh, you know, the first side being, you know, me and Jonathan both play for something bigger and we have more of a purpose and more identity and other greater things and that, that matter much more than golf. Right. Um, so I think that's, that's one thing that automatically just takes a lot of pressure off, right? Like that, that we're loved and we, we, nothing we can do in golf can ever satisfy our soul or, you know, make us more of who we are than we already are. So, but on the other side of that answer is, um, quite frankly, I, and I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for Jonathan as well is that, uh, you know, we're not scared by it and we're not going to be, you know, I, I don't think we're going to fall into the, the deceiving of uh, qualifying on the golf team. I, I find that like so many people, once they get to college, their new goal becomes literally just making the team. And if you make the team, you're playing good. But, you know, my goal is to be the best player in the world. And my goal is to be the number one on our team every single week. And I, uh, and I have full intentions on doing that. And I, honestly, I'm not, I'm not really scared of what's going to, happen in college like I'm not scared of the courses or scared of the competition at all because I mean we've already competed on that level in summer amateur events with the with the same people yeah. right and I and I've won on that level so I'm not I'm not scared of the competition or the fields the only the only thing that I'm just having to be weary of and start um thinking about is just how I'm going to react right like to my team right like how because golf is such an individual sport but then yeah. in college and into an they bring it into a team sport and golf is not a team sport at all because you can't control what another guy does. Another guy can't control what you do, but then at the end, somehow you, you make up a team. So it doesn't make sense, but um, I, I'm just going to have to, 
I think being supportive for me is going to be the biggest thing because I, I can just find myself getting really negative sometimes, like in team aspects. And like, if, if somebody plays really bad, like I'm going to, I know I'm going to have to be show compassion. Right. Which I'm sure everybody deals with no matter how much they talk about it. Right. And cause that's so important. Um, and if I play bad, I'm going to need somebody there to, you know, help me. So, uh, but I think we're going to have a great team, you know, and it's not, like I said, it's not all about great golf, but I think we're going to have a great team with a bunch of great guys and we're all going to be able to help and push each other. And, you know, I think, I think the more everybody views golf as a individual sport and trying to become the best player in the world, then the the better your team becomes, right? Yeah. When, everybody be, when, be, when everybody begins to do their job, you know? So I, I think, I think we got a great coach. We got two great coaches that we're, we're, we're going to be under Brennan and Bo. And I think they do a great job of pushing us and also uh, keeping our eyes fixed on what we can control. Yeah. And it's interesting because you want to be the number one guy in the team, but also, you know, if you go through qualifying and you have a couple bad rounds and you end up playing as the three man or the four man, it really, once you tee it up in the tournament, you're all the same. The fifth guy can just as easily catch fire and pick up the, the slack for the number one guy. That's, that's maybe struggling and vice versa. I mean, you need five guys that are in the lineup that are all driving for the same goal. And you can handle that individually, no matter what your spot is, whether you're the number one, three or five. hundred percent. Totally agree. But you know, I just think it's, I just think telling myself that I want to be the number one player <laughs> yeah. on the team, other people telling themselves that they want to be the number one player on the team. All it does is it, it doesn't, it's it's just not it's just trying not to satisfy yourself when you get inside the top five. You yeah, know, it's it's less about actually playing the position and more about like, okay, the guys, this is not our goal. This is not what we're trying to practice for to make the lineup right. So, um, I, I just think it's more of a mindset thing rather than actually playing the position. You went to high school at Union Academy Charter School, uh, the Cardinals. Obviously, you're wearing a lot of red. Have you thought just about how much damn orange you're going to be wearing for the next four years? Yeah. Um, I mean, you're going to Tennessee. I'm not sure if we've explained that quite clearly to the listener. That's, that's, that's a bogey on my part, but you're going to Tennessee. I mean, the, that's a lot. I mean, look, it's a great school, Caleb. It's just you and me talking here, but it, that's a lot of orange, isn't it? I mean, I want to say that I'm more excited for the, uh, the white and the gray and some black, <laughs> nice. but um, because they have great color combinations with with orange logos, right? Rather right, just, gotcha. I mean, I believe I've seen pictures of guys wearing full orange pants, like in tournaments rounds. I just, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. That's that's so. What you're saying, what you're saying now to everyone listening on the podcast is, if the color scheme has too much orange in it, you may be tanking and qualifying and not making the trip. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, uh, not quite, but <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, it, it's. I, I would rather wear gray and white with orange logos gotcha. and a black yeah gotcha i understand no no it's good hey we're getting these things out in the open i'm sure coach webb is listening and just you know got to be strategic about the color schemes just get got keep the talent happy that's really the goal here keep the talent happy. that's all it is that's all it is well indian trail north carolina is your hometown about an hour about i'm sorry about 30 minutes southeast of charlotte what um you know a lot of kids get into the game they pick up a club it's a, a parent a, a, an uncle a mother introduces them to the game uh, I would like to think that you didn't pick up a club for the first time and think I want to be the number one player in the world so what was your start in the game like what how, how much fun was you know your start in the game 
Um, I would say uh, it was about half and half. I, I found myself always really determined and driven. Like I, I remember hitting in the garage with my dad with him holding his hand up against my ankle, trying to prevent me from like, you know, rolling out of my right side on the way back. You know, we, I mean, we were grinding at like six and six to 10. <laughs> oh my God. What started it all was uh, my dad did long drive. Right. So not, not, not golf, but he would be the Kyle Berkshire of right. back then. That was, that was his goal. So he did a lot of that. And there's a bunch of drivers in our garage that were taller than me. And they still, some of them still are, but, um, they, that my dad kind of put me in it. My granddad's a little bit of a golf geek. Um, and my dad just oddly knows a lot about the game and he's kind of pushed me and helped me. And then once I got started, golf is such a golf is such an unsatisfying game, right? Like, it's not like, Oh, I'm playing great basketball right now. Like, and I'm not going to get worse, but like golf, you can be playing great one day and terrible the next. Right. So during the time I find myself shooting a 78, which at the time was amazing. And then going out and shooting 87 the next day and then like wanting to shoot a 78 again, then it, you know, the hook got you, yeah. hook got me. So uh, that was kind of my start story. And then, then I just started playing, um, you know, some U S kids stuff like around town and I found some success and then that, kind of inspired me and like made me want to you know do some more practice more get better and then start playing in bigger stuff and i mean i obviously found some motivation and not 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 necessarily motivation but like you know inspiring to go out and play just from watching youtube of you know tiger doing great things and getting chills from some of the stuff so that was i just remember watching like pga tour top 10 on pga tour youtube or whatever yeah yeah I know, I know all those like the back of my hand. Now, did, you would think, and and so I'm I'm kind of guessing here that if your dad is into long drive and and you're getting introduced to the game, was distance something that you always chased? Like I want to see how far I can hit it, or did you, you know, a lot of kids start in the game that you know parents are dropping them off at the at the you know putting green and the chipping green and and they're trying to figure out how to get the ball in the hole. Do you remember kind of were you always not saying you are now, but were you really focused on distance and how far can I hit this? Not necessarily. Um, me and my dad, because my dad did a lot of my swing coaching early, and our biggest thing was like we're not going to chase distance until we're fully grown, right? right. Like we're not, we're not going to try to hit the ball far because my my dad just kept explaining me through genetics and how big and strong I was going to get that I'm going to hit the ball far at some point. But the biggest thing that we did, which ended up making me hit the ball very far, is um, he, you know, when we started trying to build fundamentals it was all around being athletic right like we used to think luke keekley on the carolina footballs yeah Panther team. yeah you know that, that was our feeling it's set up right like we're trying to set up athletically we're trying to swing it connected and you know just feel athletic the whole time so that that kind of it kind of told me internally that i one day i was going to hit it far but like you know i've never like used speed sticks and you know stuff like that and really chase club head speed but right I found myself getting faster over time just from working out and getting stronger. But, you know, honestly, once you start carrying the ball to 95, 300 yards, you know, I just don't know how much more you need. Right. Like, I mean, swinging at 118, 119, I don't, I don't know how much, uh, I don't know how much a 320 carry really helps these days. It's, a, it's so accuracy now. Yeah. And that's interesting that you bring that up. Cause I was going to talk about that a little bit later, but since we're kind of on this topic, we'll, we'll, we'll go into it. I, you know, I'm around, you, you see me around the, a lot of amateur tournaments, college junior tournaments. And, you know, I see how much attention is being put into uh, distance and numbers and the track band comes out. I mean, I'm seeing track bands at college events. I'm seeing them all over the place. 
and I'm seeing players, you know, testing new driver heads and different shafts. You know, what is your kind of approach to that? Because just like you said, you're, you know, carrying it 290, 310, you know, what are we talking about here? Are you kind of keeping an eye on your equipment because of the fact that you're still growing? Or are you looking to constantly test something to see if it'll give you more accuracy or more distance? How do you kind of approach, you know, because like if you're 34 years old, you're done growing. Maybe you can find something to give you a little more distance. But at your age, you're 18, you're still getting stronger, still growing. Is it more about making sure that you're not outgrowing your equipment? Personally, I mean, I just believe that some of that stuff and is just kind of nonsense in a way. You know, I, okay. I find... People get so caught up in switches and this driver's going so much farther and this one's going straighter and this putter's rolling so good and switching putters every week and, you know, all these things. But, you know, the main thing that that tells me is that they don't have confidence in what they can already do, right? Like, they they need something else to make them better, you know? And, like, I don't believe that for me. Like, I mean, I have – I believe that um, I can do, you know, great things, with with just what I have right and great things being playing well and whatever hitting the ball far but you know what what it just blows my mind how many people get caught up in the numbers and caught up in swing speed and rarely I mean rarely like rarely does the longest player win the tournaments like rarely you know like yeah Bryson's long but how many I mean he hasn't won you know 10 times this year but like a guy like Scotty Scheffler who you know is very good putter, very good wedge player and drives it all right, you know, is dominating the game right now, you know. So that's what I'm saying. A guy like Colin Morikawa, too, who's consistently up there, Justin Thomas, you know, they, they don't carry the ball 330. You know, they carry it three, 300, 290, 285, and it's that rolls to 320. And next thing you know, you got eight or seven iron into your par, par longest par four, right? And that's, yeah. that's enough, you know. So, um, but that's also something that I've fallen short of, right? Like I've fallen short of, uh, you know, and not necessarily falling short of it, but like got caught up in it with changing, right? Like, cause it's very easy, like these bigger tournaments that I've been going to, like, and they'll have the tour vans there and all Hell these yeah. things, which, which is great. You know, it's great for certain things, but it's also like, I, I just find with some of my buddies and a lot of people that it becomes the livelihood of them being there, right? Like it's all that they're focused on. They're, they're trying to get stuff out of the van. And, you know, I've, I've, once again, I've been caught up in this and it's something I'm trying to get away from, but, uh, I just believe that, like, if you're not confident with what you already have at your tournament, then you're not really prepared to win, you know. And But, you know, in a way, like I said, I got caught up in it. I switched to a putter out of the tour van the morning of the first round. Never even played a practice round with this putter. This The morning of the first round during a rain delay, I put it in my bag. Which tournament? And Which tournament? This is the Sage Valley Junior Tournament. Oh, Junior. God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, and then I ended up winning. So, I mean, yeah, there's good, there's good, bad things to it, but I, I, that's just one thing for me, at least. And some guys, some guys need those numbers, right? Like some guys need to know how fast they're swinging it, but I, one, I don't think the fastest and longest player wins every tournament. Um, I don't think, I really don't think a certain driver changes anyone's game these days because everything's already so good, right? Like it's not, it's not like we're going from hitting, titanium drivers to like a nice Callaway road, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like, all right, we're going to hit the road plus, or we're going to hit the road max. Like, I mean, how much of a game changer can it really be? Right. So I'm just, I'm just trying to find confidence in my own game and like what I have. Right. Cause I've been like, to be honest, I've been struggling putting lately and I've been trying a bunch of different putters. I'm 
so I am trying to find something I really like, but at the same time, you know, once I know I find something, it's, I don't want to, you know, just constantly switch. Yeah. Well, with a putter though, it's a little bit different because sometimes you can just have a, I mean, even if you grab the same model of the putter and the grip was just a little different, maybe a few more wraps, or maybe it has a different sight line on it or a different color. Sometimes, something, sometimes something just like that, or, you know, just, you know, put a little extra weight in the toe, just something you're like, Oh, now I got it. And, and with a, and you know, even if you don't make all the putts, it's still, you're, you're not going to be, knocking the ball off the green out of bounds where with a driver or a three wood uh it could have a drastic effect on 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 your game now you mentioned you mentioned sage obviously you know won the junior invitational there recently one of the most prestigious junior events in the country and it's funny uh you just mentioned scotty scheffler so there was a really big tie with with nike with this term for such a long time and you know believe it or not it's it's actually a really big tradition there with sage valley with a lot of current and former PGA Tour players that come and speak with the juniors. And, you know, Rory's done it, Jason Day's done it, and this year, uh, Scotty did it. And he actually stopped by right after he won it at Arnold Palmer. I think this was the week before he won the Dell match play, and then obviously we all know he goes on to win the Masters. But um, he's there speaking to the players now. Are you more of a sit-back-and-listen-and-not-ask-questions kind of guy, or did you come armed with with a lot of questions what was kind of your experience listening to him speak i'm a big believer in that like no matter how like successful you know in quotations person is like we're all people right like nobody's better than anyone else right so i personally like i i like in a way like i don't care like i'm ready i'm I'm ready to like fully prepared to try and go beat shoddy scotty sheffield one day you know that's my goal oh, you yeah. know i'm not i'm not trying to you know, take pictures and do all these things. And yeah, he's a great guy. And I look up to, and he's my favorite player on tour, I think for sure right now. But, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not like a questions guy, like a big loaded questions guy. I'm more of a question guy for like the caddy, right? Like I like getting, I like picking brains of guys that are behind the scenes, right. That, that aren't necessarily on a script and will really tell you like what they do to get better. Right. Like, so I've, I've sat down with multiple, a few caddies before and, talking about like how to get the right numbers over shots and you know how to have a good mindset coming down the stretch but you know at a player at a banquet it's just going to be you know just kind of big picture stuff and that's why I didn't really ask a ton of questions I, but I'm, I'm kind of a sit back and see what this guy's like you know like we sure. saw Alter and we saw Scotty Scheffler and the two are definitely different but they're I mean they're both pretty good guys so um I like to just observe how they walk, how they talk, and like how they handle themselves. Because when when I'm a pro one day, and on the PGA Tour, I hope that I want to be able to I want to be able to handle myself as much as Scotty Scheffler handles himself. So that's those are kind of the things I'm trying to pick up on, rather than just picking up on where did you first learn how to hit a golf ball? You know that type of question. Sure. I'm more of trying to just learn how this guy walks around. How does he talk to other people? How how does he respect others around him, even though he's the best player in the world, right? So that's those are things I'm trying to pick up on, and that's something that's helped better me as a person and better me around uh, around successful people as well. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I've been around junior golf uh, a lot more recently the last few years, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned kind of everyone's – you know, you kind of mentioned that everyone is, you know, everyone's just the same and everyone just is trying to accomplish the same thing. They're trying to get better. They're trying to do the best they can on the golf course. And, you know, something that I noticed on the putting green at the Jones Jr., there were several players there that I could tell 
they were maybe the typical junior golfer, you know, enjoying their time there. They were kind of having some fun on the putting green. Maybe, you know, maybe they were kind of griping about, man, I played like crap today and I three jacked it over here and I hit it off the world on six and just kind of the typical chatter on the putting green. And I even overheard one kid say, yeah, well, I, I can't beat Caleb. And I thought it was interesting because then I look at you and you were kind of there, I mean, still social, but also pretty focused on what you were doing. Do you have a sense of that when you're playing junior golf, that there are a handful of guys that are maybe on your level, not just, you know, skill-wise, but just the same mindset, and then that there's some where they're just not on your level? I mean, do you kind of go into these tournaments thinking, the only one that can really beat me is me? Yeah, um, I, I fully believe that. I mean, I believe that my good golf can compete with anybody, like especially like on the on the tour too. Like I, I just believe that. Like if I believe if I get into a corn ferry and that if I play bring my A golf, like I can win. You know, I can be top ten. Um, so yeah, I believe that, and I also believe that there is a lot of kids that you know. It, I I find a lot of times when somebody commits to college early, right? Like, uh, you know sophomore early junior year right or you know maybe even freshman year these days that you know it, it becomes a little satisfaction thing right like it's like all right well i'm already committed to college you know i don't need to even win you know it's not a big deal and their their goal is to go make the college line just like i said right like but to be the best player in the world you mean you got to have your eyes set on that end goal for until you reach it right and and that end goal does not come from just slacking around and don't get me wrong i'm a, i'm a i'm a social butterfly oh there's t- yeah i no no you yeah I'm, i don't want to paint the picture that you over there you were over there in your cocoon and no one was allowed to talk to you you were being social and having as much fun as anyone else but i could just sense yeah. that there was a different there's just a different vibe around you that i'm seeing around other junior golfers i mean that's really the only way i can describe it yeah and i mean another thing is like i believe that you know if you're not putting in good honest work and you're just kind of half doing it you know then i mean you're creating bad habits so like it's the kids that are just talking around on the putting green and lining up and not with their line or whatever how they wouldn't do it on a tournament round like you're not getting better whatsoever you know you're you're yeah. actually getting worse right like certain things are getting worse and you know if you start missing putts and you're not like trying on them then well then you might then you might start believing that you're putting bad right like so it's definitely deeper than that. But, I mean, I, I try to be focused when I can. But then once I check out of golf, you know, I'm, I hang out with my buddies. You know, I go to dinner with people. Um, but, you know, while I'm at the golf course, like, I mean, I, I treat it like a job. Like, I'm trying to go be the best player in the world. I'm trying to make money for myself in the future. And I'm trying to, you know, do something that will support my family one day. And I'll do anything to do that. And it all starts now. You know, it, it blows my mind. Like, like, yes, to be honest, great things are happening for me. But they wouldn't be happening if, if I haven't done what I've done. Right. No credit to me, you know, all glory above, but I'm just saying that, you know, all these little events, well, multiple, I've won multiple of these events and now you can see how it's having a change on things. Right. So in the moment, it just seems like it's not a big deal. I'm hanging with my buddies. I'm not focused. And, but you know, over time you look back and you're like, Oh wow, this kid won the U S junior. Wow. That kid won junior PGA. This, this 19 year old won the U S amateur. Wow. This this eighteen year old just grids just caddy for or won a gosh qualified for a corn fair you know so I mean right. it's just these things that people acknowledge over time that just don't seem like a big deal in the moment and that's what I've been trying to put my focus on and stay focused on. Now you you said you want to be the best in the world. Now obviously you know 
playing in a U.S. Open this year or qualifying for a Corn Ferry Tour event, you know, that's just a small piece of it. It's a small step along the way. But you see more and more of college players getting exemptions to play in PGA Tour events, amateurs getting, you know, or or juniors getting exemptions to play in a Corn Ferry Tour event, state opens, things like that. For For maybe the junior golfer out there that's not on your level quite yet, that maybe is afraid to try and qualify for a U.S. amateur or to try and qualify for their state open. Can you explain maybe the advantages and just how important it is to kind of reach and get onto stages that might be a little bit too big for you? What are the benefits of that? Just to further explain my point. Yes, you want to go in and win that tour event, but you also know history that, you know, the last amateur to win a PJ tour event was Phil when he was 19. So it's not out of the realm of possibility, but it isn't something that's likely. I'm sure you can agree with that. But what are the what are the important things that you find about reaching and being at different levels? I mean, one thing I'll go ahead and say is like, and this is one motivational thing that I've tried to tell myself is like, like who makes the probability? You know, who makes the stats? Who's like, well, it's very unlikely that this kid could win, you know, just because it has happened in a long time. Well, well, if, if you believe you can do it and, you, and you're good enough, then I believe that you can do it. Like, I, I believe I can go win a corn fair if I get in, you know, and have it and bring my A golf. I'm not showing any disrespect to other great players right. that are already out there chasing it. But, you know, I am. I do believe that. And you have to believe that to be great. Um, Tiger believed that he could win the U.S. Amateur at 17, and he did. Or, you know, or very young, right? So I, I don't know the exact age, but – Another thing I'll say is that, like, and this is this is honestly, like, not really to bring any shame to other junior golfers, but honestly to fire them up, is that if you're scared, then you're not ready and you're not good enough. Because once you know you're good enough, then you shouldn't be scared of anybody, you know, especially of a game that doesn't define you, right? And if the game doesn't define me. Um, it, it shouldn't have an impact, you know, on, like, what you try to play in, you know, if you really believe you're good enough and, heaven forbid you you go out and qualify and play great well then then you're out there you know so never never be afraid to try to qualify or go play in a bigger tournament or even a smaller tournament right like i find that in some of the bigger players names they're like afraid to go play in smaller tournaments because it'll hurt your ranking and i've tried to do that i've done that a little bit but like i've also played some smaller events just because the goal is to get better right like if the goal is to get better then we're not worried about a ranking so like are you going to get better for qualifying at the U.S. Amateur and go shooting 89-89 and missing the cut? Absolutely. You're going to realize what it takes out there. You're going to feel what it's like to be out there. And you're going to, you know, you're going to see what what it, what it you got to really improve on. And, and in smaller tournaments, like, yeah, I could go sign up for a really small tournament and probably win if I play good. But, and it wouldn't be that hard, right? But at the same time, it's to get me better, right? If I go make mistakes and coming down the stretch, I find that I'm getting nervous over something. Well, that's all that that does is build you over time. And then when you're coming down uh, the finishing stretch of the masters, I'm sure it's easier with experience. Like, like I saw, I saw a thing with uh, Scotty Scheffler on golf channel played like a crazy amount of junior events in Texas, like 109 or something crazy. And he won like three fourths of the time. And like, you know, Texas Junior Golf Association is not the AJGA or the USGA by any means, but the fact that he's clearly learned how to one win, and I'm sure another two thirds of the 25% that he didn't win, he was still in contention, right? So that does nothing but prepare you for the tour. And once again, I'm not there yet, so I don't know. And I'm, I'm still on my road to learning, and I'm still trying to make it. But he, uh, that that's one thing that's pretty inspiring to me. And 
seeing how that he did that and he's clearly he shows no nerves under pressure in a way well i'm glad you brought that up about playing in anything and everything basically because unfortunately you're right there is that you know the issue with wagger and with rankings and playing a smaller tournament if you don't win it's you know even if you win your your ranking can go down and and truthfully in the grand scheme of things you're all trying to get to a level outside of amateur golf you're trying to play professionally and win on the pga tour and yeah um you know, coming in second place at a small state or county event, you know, that may sting, but you're going to learn a lot more from that than if you finish, you know, T12 at a invitational that may, you know what I mean? Like, you know, how many T12s do you really need? Right. Absolutely. I mean, if you're not, if you're not inside the top 100 on the world golf ranking, not Wagger, like, I don't see what the big deal is about protecting your wagger rank from going to 89th or 79th. Like uh, it's not this, you're not going to become the number one player in the world from yeah. safe and wagger spots. You're going to become the best player in the world over time by the experience and the, you know, learning of what it really takes. And then eventually when you get in the big stage, you you're there. Like that's how guys break out. Right. Like it's, it's like, honestly, rarely is the number one amateur in the world become the number one player in the world. Like it doesn't happen a lot. Like, I mean, it's crazy as that sounds. And I know it's definitely happened before, but it's these guys that burst out on the scene out of nowhere that were ranked 30th on Wagger that know how to compete. And then they get their shot and they, they're able to handle that adversity and that pressure. They, they burst out on the scene, you know, and then it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's a, it's a definite, it's definitely a complicated path to, to travel as you're kind of learning your, your game and your skill set and trying to get yourself in that position. And, uh, we talked a little bit, a little bit about it earlier. You're going to Tennessee and, um, you know, you, I'm looking at, you got Laurent Desmarchais coming back, Jake Hall, Bryce Lewis, yourself, Evan Woosley Reed. Um, you got a strong team coming back. I know you got a, you know, got a couple other guys coming in. Uh, you're losing, you're losing the best facial hair in college golf. Unfortunately, Hunter Wolcott's moving on, which is, uh, we are. it's devastating to me, uh, probably more so than anyone. Cause I mean, who else is going to grow a mustache like that, uh, in the amateur ranks when you're going through that recruiting process? I mean, you know, Grizz is going to Alabama, Dunlap's going to Alabama, you know, Wells Williams, he's going to Vanderbilt. I mean, a lot of these guys in your class that you see a lot in, in junior tournaments, how often do you guys kind of compare notes during the recruiting process? Um, I wouldn't say we necessarily compare notes because uh, we, you know, we've kind of already made our decision um, before, you know, we got to know each other very well. Okay. Right? Like, um, you know, like I, I've Ben's probably one of my closer friends. Um, ben James like, going to Virginia. Yeah. I forgot to, forgot to yeah. mention him. Yeah, so uh, he's obviously a very high-level player and somebody I think will play on PGA Tour one day as well as Dunlap and Grizz and those guys. But, you know, I haven't gotten to know Ben well until the last year or so, right? So I didn't really have a role in his recruiting or anything. But, I I, I mean, we can bring advice to anyone that's looking to get recruited, right, to our school, right? Like I can – I feel like I can do a great job of, you know, know, explaining, you know, what's – what, what what you should be making your decision based on, right? Like it's not just the golf bag. How nice the golf bag? Like I, it blows my mind. How <laughs> Are you serious? How, oh, it blows my mind how many like junior golfers not. And I used to do the same thing too. Like, I mean, how nice like how nice would it be to go to Alabama? Say I go to Alabama or say how nice the bags are. Like like University of North Carolina has a sweet bag. Tennessee has a great postseason bag. You know things like that. Like it's just these little like external <laughs> things that 
can affect a kid's decision so young, which is why I think it's great that, you know, they've done away with the rule and, or they came up with a rule and you can't really commit until junior year now. So you're at least a little more mature, but um, I would say on the recruiting side, none of us have really helped each other because it's kind of, it's kind of something that we honestly try to stay out of, right? Like it's, it's their decision, right? Like I don't want to have, like, even when I was trying to get guys to come to our school, right. That have committed or not, right. Like in their recruiting process, like Tennessee being, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to leave it to them, right? Like I'm not trying to like milk it 24 seven as I'm sure all the other great players would, or really anyone that wants somebody to make the right decision. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's a big decision in your life and it's more than just golf, right? Like you're going to, it's going to be where you're going to live, who you're going to be around, like who you surround yourself with is just as important. Right. So, um, you got to make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people and that you're surrounding yourself with coaches that you like in a town that you love. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, where do I think that will prepare me for the PGA tour the best. Right. And that happened to be Knoxville for me. So. What, um, what are maybe some questions? I don't know if you can think back to what questions you asked coach Webb, but perhaps questions that juniors in the next couple of years will need to ask their, you know, perspective coaches or, or coaches that could become their, their coaches in college. What are some questions that you would recommend juniors ask Bes- um, besides, besides what kind of bag they, they're going to get? <laughs> besides- um, yeah. I mean, I think it's important just to, like I said, I mean, you got to know what you're coming into, right? Like, and honestly, coaches can, coaches and websites and advertisements can just highlight something out of the school that like it's only something that you're going to get 10% of the time like you know Tennessee is great and I love Tennessee and I'm excited about going to Tennessee and you know the facility is what I think one of the top five in the country and I think it's it's beautiful and it's great but that's only like 10% of the the whole gig you know like I'm going to be like the big thing for me is like finding a church in town that I love, you know, surrounding myself with people that I know will help grow me. Right. So you, you got to know what you're coming into and ask a lot about like the atmosphere, right? Like what are the guys like on the team? You know, how's, how do we do qualifying, you know, stuff like that. You got to be comfortable where you are because there's a lot of kids that are in the transfer portal and they're kind of in that transfer portal because they're somewhere where they don't want to be. Right. And if you're somewhere where you don't want to be like, and you, and you thought it was the right place then it really wasn't right. So you know, and honestly, the biggest thing I'd say is just don't rush, right? Like you have to your the end of your senior year to decide where you want to go. And that's when you're the most mature. And I think that'll make you a better golfer anyway, because that'll, you'll have the motivation to keep getting better, right? Like, okay, well, I'm not gonna, I'm going to try to play great this season, see if I can get more scholarship money or see if I can get bigger schools to look at me, right? You know, things like that. And the bigger school isn't always the right answer, but you know, that's, that's just the point I'm getting at to where you can, uh, it's definitely important just to know, you know, what you're really going to rather than the name, right? Because the name plays a big factor in a lot of juniors decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of that too, where, you know, they're trying to make sure they're going to a, a, they think they need to go to a bigger school because that's cooler or it speaks more about their skill level where, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe you can go to a a mid-major and be the number two number or number one or number two guy playing in every single tournament and getting those reps where you're going to improve, or he could be the number eight guy on a big name program and only play in one or two events a year. That at the end of the day, that's not going to do anything for you. Yeah. I mean, which one gets you better? You yeah. Know, back to what we're talking about is I, I believe the more, the better, the more learning, the better. So, you know, it's, I'm saying the bigger school isn't always the right answer, but uh, whatever, whatever you think will prepare you the best. Once you really look at it, will be the right spot. What are you going to miss the most out of junior golf? 
Now you're not going to miss the guys because you're going to be playing with them in the next level. But what uh, maybe what tournament or what memory of junior golf really kind of caps encapsulates just like man that was just a really cool part of my life. And I'm, honestly, and I'm not going to be able to do it anymore. Yeah, honestly, I'm going to counter you on that. I think it's going to be the guys, to be honest. Like, oh, really? Yeah, like I'm going to miss going out to eat with my buddies, like Grizz and Ben and Nick and all these guys. Like, like that stuff's so fun to me. Like after a round, we go to dinner and we talk about our rounds. And same thing you were talking about on the putting green, but we're at dinner now, you know? Right. Just to talk about how bad we played or how bad we putted. You know, it's, and then these hilarious stories about how Grizz hit at OB or something or hit a car path or <laughs> Ben James hit a spectator or something. You know, and it's just, it's hysterical. You know, it's, we just laugh so hard. So, and yeah, we'll, we'll be at the same tournaments, right? But we'll be eating dinner with our own team. I know. Uh, it's not like, all right, see y'all tonight. Go eat with your friends. It's yeah. That's know, pro- that probably is not going to go over too well if you uh, if you go see. I'm going to go sit with the uh, the Bama team and have dinner with. Yeah, Greg. it's yeah, like, hey, Webb, I'm going to go eat dinner with Bama tonight. Is that right? That's it's just not going to happen. Yeah, probably not going to go over too well. But it's all good. But I, I think that's honestly one of the things I'm going to miss. I, I'm going to miss. Uh, you know, I kind of like doing things on my own. To be honest, like I'm more of a like I'll go to terracotta this week fully on my own. Like I'll have nobody there with me, you know, I, I, and I love that stuff. Like I love driving to tournaments and doing things on my own, which I, which I'll still do during the summer. But, you know, I just, this, this fall and the next spring is, will probably feel like, not like I'm being babied at all, but you know, it's like, there's going to be a lot so of, much, there's going to be a lot of people around you all the time. Yeah. Well, it's not even about that. It's just like, uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my team. I'm happy with my coaches. And I, oh I no, I didn't mean it like that. It's just like you're an individual. Like, yeah. It will never be like, all right, turn the radio on, driving down the road, put your sunglasses on. We got an eight-hour drive. You know, it'll be like, all right, well, our flight's here. We're gonna we're gonna be here and we're gonna finish playing. Then we're gonna be back in an hour. You know, and then you got class tomorrow morning. Right now, like high school's pretty laid back for me, so I just take it pretty easy. And you know, I've done a lot of work, so I uh, I just I don't really stress about a lot of things, and I'm just I'm just a little worried about the stress that's gonna come in college. You know, because I'm not the brightest either. You know, when it comes to academics, so. uh, Think, uh, no, no matter how easy of courses or classes I take, it will still uh, still kick my butt. That, that that dreaded thing they they are going to make you go to class, uh, Caleb. I, I yeah. I'm sorry to bring that to your attention, but they're going to like you to be eligible and, and you know go to a few of them. I mean, just see what they're about. Who knows? Yeah, just check it out. Yeah, just try just see what's going on. Um, talk to me a little bit about. So we're going. You just mentioned terracotta. We're going into uh, Naples National. You are. One of one of very few number of past champions that won in their first appearance at Naples National. Now you're no strangers to some pretty incredible golf courses and facilities. I mean, you've played all over the country, and you know, I mean, you've 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 seen it all. But rolling up to Naples National for the first time last year, uh, what was your first take on that place? Um, I mean, how beautiful it is. I mean, yeah. it's just coolest place i've ever been and it was the biggest tournament i had ever been to at the time um competing in you know uh and it was just i mean it was just so cool my dad was caddying for me and we had we that was when like i was coming off a really good like a really good hard off season of work you know i knew my game was ready to go do something big and then sure enough we did something big that week and i planned i hope to do it again this week what's your um what's your practice round kind of process when you're going into a course that maybe you've never seen before a tournament you've never seen before you know this is again something that to kind of pass along to people that are you know playing in tournaments trying to figure out the best way to to acclimate themselves to a golf course i mean are you 
kind right. of kind of looking for a friendly game? Are you holding everything out? You know, what right. what is maybe your approach to okay, I have a day, maybe have maybe have two days, but I got to learn as much as I can about this place. Right. Yeah, honestly, uh I kind of like this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I mean, I try to know where I'm going to hit every single shot before I even get to the event. Um you know, I, I think me and my coaches do a great job of preparing for the event. And, you know, preparing for the event is not just work on your game, you know. We, uh, I mean, we put a lot of work in course management. Like, I, like last year, for example, like I knew, I knew what hole 1, 2, 8, 9, and 15 looked like before I even showed up there for the first time, you know. So, and I, and I had been playing that course routine on the range of my home course for a week, you know. So, it's not, once I got down there, it was nothing new. So, I'm always really strict on course management before I even show up, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to know, you know, where the ball has got to be, you know, where the misses are. And I, I mean, even if it comes from calling the course and asking what the greens are rolling, right. You know, it's just those little things. Um, so that's something that, you know, I'll definitely have another advantage this year because I've played it. But last year I felt like I also had an advantage over other first timers because I simply knew more about the golf course where I even showed up. But, you know, speaking uh, not to get nasty or anything, but I actually – my practice round routine will look very different this year. I already had to move my flight because after my U S open qualifier, I came down with a bad case of dehydration and stomach bug actually. So I'm actually very, very under the weather right now, but I should Ooh. clear up. In the, I should clear up uh, in the next 24 hours and I'll be good to go or 12 hours. So, so it'll, it'll be more about preserving energy this week for sure. 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 So when, now you mentioned the course playing the course routine on the range. I know what you're talking about, but if you can expand a little bit on, on that, because I think that's incredibly valuable. First of all, I love the fact that you're, you're not trying to rush into learning everything when you're only on site, you're actually trying to research the course, find out as much as you can and think your way around it so that when you show up, you kind of have a little bit of a sense of what to do. So explain what you're talking about when it comes to a course routine on the range. Right. So, I mean, I'll just like, I know this week for me, like I know it's eight hybrids, two, three woods and four drivers on the golf course. Typically that's what it was last year. That's what I've anticipated on it being, you know, before I went last year. So I'll simply, you know, try to play every hole on the range, you know, at least the tee shot, you know, like, all right, well, this one's a little draw hybrid, you know, just, just a little feels that can make you more comfortable once you get there. Right. And, uh, you know, especially like before I warm up or after I warm up, sorry, like on the range at the actual tournament, I, you know, I try to, uh, you know, r- right when I'm done hitting my last few drivers, I then like try to hit the first three tee balls, you know, whether it's a hybrid, then a four iron, then a par three or whatever, you know, so that's something I try to do. And how much does weather affect that? Because you're, you're basically telling me what your tee balls are on, on all 18 or, or you're hitting your hybrid hitting three with drivers. You're, you're telling me what you're hitting on, on par fours and par fives. Right. Um, how do you assess the conditions once you get on property? I mean, are you, are, you know, if you're on a typical hole that it's a, it's a hybrid and you're got 10 mile per hour wind into your face, are you adjusting that or are you, sticking with the hybrid and then maybe it's just going to be a longer second shot. How do you kind of assess when things like that change? What I usually try to do is I, rather than club, I mean, I know I said club cause it's, it's usually the club, but I just go off numbers. Right. Okay. So I know at national there's like, there's, there's eight shots where I want to try to hit the ball 260 yards. Right. And there's, there's two or three balls where I try to hit a 290 and then there's four where I'm trying to hit 325, you know? So 
you know, whether that be downwind, you know, a 325 downwind, maybe a three wood, right? The 290 downwind, maybe a hybrid. So I did say numbers, but or say clubs, but you know, most of the time I'm just, you know, I'm more focused on the numbers. Perfect. Okay. So as you said, you're you're heading back to Naples National. I love the fact that that you know even someone like you with your, your level in the tournaments you've played at, that place like Naples National really sticks out. Obviously, you want to go there and repeat and win again. Um, I, I guess what really stood out, other than just the course itself, what really stood out about that tournament experience for you? Yeah, I mean, other than the win and everything that happened that was great, I mean, I, I just kind of found a little bit of joy in seeing how much the world and, you know, like members pull for junior golfers. Um, that's one thing that I've had to, I've kind of noticed over the year and the last year as well, as long as, as well as Naples national, especially is when all these members come out and they're like, gosh, I want the junior win. Right. Rather than a, you know, a big time amateur, you know, or some like, I want the 17 year old. I mean, that'd be so cool. Like, like, I mean, if a 17 year old is in the final of the U S amateur, how I mean, how can you not root for him? Right. So that's, that's one thing that I've, uh, picked up on and that i'm super thankful for down there and it really stood out to me there like you know when i was coming up 18 with a couple other great amateurs but you know maxwell ford and co controller were second and third that you know they they wanted the juniors to play well right and junior golf has kind of taken over some stuff and you know it's it's great to see what some of my other buddies are doing and you know what grizz did down in you know alabama this week and uh you know it's it's really inspiring and i think it's 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 great motivation for the future of junior golf for sure how long does it take Grizz to do his hair for every round? You know, I don't think that long at all, okay. actually. You know, he's just so naturally good with the hair. You know, <laughs> Like, I mean, I just think he showers and then he just, like, puts it. Because I stayed with him at Sage in the same room. And, I mean, he just, I mean, he would just shower and he'd be out in, like, three minutes. His hair would look great. I think he just put some old gel in or something. And- uh, well, first of all, Caleb, get healthy and uh, safe travels down to uh, to Florida. And look forward to seeing you at uh, at the Terracotta. And I appreciate the time today. And I'm sure I'm going to be seeing a lot of you this summer. But uh, for now, I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And there you have it. Special thanks to Caleb Surratt for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Congrats again to him for his win at the Terracotta. Thanks again to Denny Glass and everyone at Naples National for their support of the back of the range. Already looking forward to coming back next year. Make sure you're also following Terracotta Invitational on Instagram. That's where a lot of the content I created showed up. Follow Back of the Range on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. And again, all the episodes, all the merch, everything you need to know about this podcast and the Back of the Range can be found on the website, thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.